You may be seated. Please turn in your copy of the scriptures to uh, Galatians 5.22. If you're using the Pew Bible, that's page 975. We've been studying Galatians for several months now, and we've zeroed in on the fruit of the Spirit. uh, Fruit singular, but with nine different fruits, I suppose you could say. It's all one fruit, but many fruits. You could look at it as a cluster, a Uh, a a husk of many fruits, but it all comes to us uh, as we are united to Jesus and living and abiding in him. I am the vine, you are the branches. Uh, Any of these fruit of the spirits we speak of, uh, you you can't get them humanly. Uh, They come by faith in Jesus. They come connected uh, to the vine, the Lord, and they are only produced in the lives of those uh, that the Lord is connected to and feeding with his, with his life-giving sap. And so hear the word of the living God. Uh, the fruit of the Spirit is joy. Let's look to God in prayer. Lord, open our eyes to see wonderful things in your word uh, so that we can be full of joy for the right reasons. We pray your grace now in Jesus' name, amen. If uh, you were given a blank sheet of paper... And ask this question, what brings you joy? I would imagine that many of us would have on our list uh, people and places and things and ideas. People. My grandchildren bring me joy. My friends bring me joy. Places. Life's a beach. Lake life. You know, you see all this on people's back windows of their cars, their bumper stickers, uh, Joy is in the mountains, some might say. Or, or how about things? You know, you roll up your garage door and there's your shiny vehicle, my pride and my joy. Uh, struck a chord there, didn't I? Uh, or how about ideas? What brings me joy? World, world peace or, or, or universal love, something like that. And I think if you began to look at this list, and I'll say something more about this list in, in a moment. But if you were to look at this list and you were to define joy by a string of pleasantries, people, places, things, and ideas, and, and perhaps these things without disruption, uh, these things without any speed bumps, these things without any sin, sickness, death, darkness, losses, or crosses, you, you might say, that's a life of joy. Uh, these are joys in this life. These are things that we might be given by God, the gift giver, uh, to enjoy. God made the world and everything in it. And so people and places and things and even ideas are all under God's creation and his sovereignty. He made these things. Uh, you look at the world and everything in it, and it's a place of incredible beauty. It's a place of many wonderful graces, and even in its cursed and sin-filled condition, what a, what a beautiful, wonderful world we live in. Can you imagine the new heavens? Can you imagine the new earth when all things are made new? All things are perfect and redeemed and wonderful. That's where we need to root our joy. Our supreme happiness is not in the people and the places and the things and the ideas of this earth. Though God made them and they're wonderful, Our joy needs to be rooted in eternity. 
Our joy needs to be rooted in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Our joy needs to be rooted in the chief end of life, which is to glorify God, but to enjoy Him forever. When we come to the Scriptures and we we hear the word joy, uh, we've got to define it the way God does, the way the Bible does. If you got out your Webster's Dictionary or pulled something up on your phone, you would probably find Two words, happiness and pleasure. And those aren't terrible. But, but we define joy biblically. Uh, we define it as something more, something better, something rooted not in this life, but in the life to come. And so uh, joy is both a, a noun, a state of being, but it's also a verb, rejoice, have joy, be joyful. You could say the beatitude word, blessed are or happy are, joyful are those uh, who have their hopes set on God and rooted in eternity. Uh, I I did a little unscientific word search, uh, just using the ESV, didn't look at Hebrew, didn't look at the Greek of the New Testament, just our English standard versions, that's what a lot of us use, and 202 times, that's a bunch, 202 times you'll find the command, and it's a command, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in his goodness. Rejoice in his provision. Rejoice in hard times. Rejoice in all circumstances. Rejoice, rejoice. 202 times in the whole ESV Bible. And then you'll find rejoice and be glad paired together. That's in there about 76 times. And so you could say biblically, you could say theologically, you could say practically for the Christian life, rejoicing and being happy and being glad in the right things is something we need to work at, something we need to practice, something we need to cultivate in our lives. And that's very different, isn't it, than the joy of man. And I want us to think for a moment about the joy of man. Uh, If man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever, or maybe you're a larger catechism person, it adds another little phrase, what is man's chief and highest end? Man's chief and highest end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. You think about that in this life. We should glorify God in this life and enjoy him in this life. But we also realize there's a next life. There's a world to come. There's a life to come. There's eternity. When we stand at the graveside of our loved ones and we hear the, the, the words of the shorter catechism, question 37, what benefits do believers receive at their death. The souls of believers are at their death made perfect in holiness and do immediately pass into glory. But their bodies being united to Christ still rest in their graves until the resurrection. The next question gives us a bit more. What are the benefits to believers at the resurrection? Well, their bodies will be raised up from the grave where they have rested with Jesus. And they will be openly acknowledged and acquitted on the day of judgment and their bodies and their souls being united together. Catch this now. will enjoy the fullness of God for all eternity. Your, your definition of joy changes, doesn't it? When you put away Webster's dictionary and you pick up the scriptures and you see that the command to be joy, have joy, rejoice the, the state of being that you can have connected to Jesus 
is to be a joyful person, you begin to see how wonderful the gift of joy is. Remember that we lost it. Adam and Eve in the garden were happy and they were holy and they were full of joy as they fellowshiped with God. But when they listened to the voice of the serpent and ate the fruit, they lost paradise. They lost the garden. They lost fellowship with God. They lost their righteousness and they were exiled out of the garden, never to return again. Well, at least until we get to the book of Revelation and see Jesus has made a way, but they were exiled into futility. They lived a life of restlessness. They lived a life that had no joy, but only sorrow and thorns and thistles and pain and strife. And so when we look at the joy of man, we realize it's only superficial. We realize that it's a, it's a front. It's a mask that really the only true joy there is, is to be found in Jesus. And it's to rest in him and no longer be restless. And so the chief end of man under sin and death and Satan, man's chief end is to glorify and enjoy himself. Do what makes you happy. Follow your heart. Uh, Do all the, well, the slogans of the day. The pursuit of this world uh, will end at your death. Y'all have seen the TV commercial, I think. It's a, I think a commercial for pet food. And the children are there at the reading of the will and the cat gets it all. And, and, and that's sort of, a, I think, a, a, a funny way of looking at what, what the writer of Proverbs says. You know, a man can toil his whole life. A man can amass wealth his whole life. A, a, a family can accumulate things only to die. And the cat gets it. I mean, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a biblical TV commercial in some way, isn't it? We can pursue the world and the cat gets it all. King Solomon was a wealthy man. He experienced everything. He owned everything. He had everything. In fact, we can say he had it in excess. And at the end of his life, he writes his wisdom book. And he says, all is vanity. All is meaningless. And then he gives us some words of wisdom. Fear God and keep his commandments. That's the sum of life. And if you fear God and keep his commandments, you will not have earthly joy, but you will have godly and eternal joy. I can remember when I was a kid, we bought our first VCR. And over there on Webb Avenue, Ed Kelly's, maybe some of you remember it. I think it's the Plasma Donation Center now, place with the rounded roof. But we went over to Ed Kelly's. One of our neighbors was a appliance and TV sales rep. So we went in there to get a VCR. And he says, you know, what kind of TV do you have? And my dad, probably being cheap, said, oh, we, we got a TV that's okay. And one of us piped up and said, we got a black and white TV. <laughs> well, well, what are you going to buy a VCR for if you don't have a color TV? And I think life for the non-Christian is in black and white. But when you come to faith in Jesus and realize all that God has done for you in Christ and all that Christ has procured for you at the cross and that you have all these blessings by the power of the Holy Spirit, life all of a sudden is in technicolor. Life all of a sudden is in HD. Life all of a sudden is in not one of those 999 TVs, but it's in the $10,000 one that's megapixels. 
and it's got the, the quick refresh rate. Some of you know what I'm speaking of. You got to have those for sports and all. It's, it's more vivid. It's more wonderful and more colorful. But life without God, life without God is meaningless. Life without God is colorless. It's temporary. It's fleeting. Everything you earn will be eaten by moth. And everything you purchase will be destroyed at the last day. But God gives us so much more as Christians. C.S. Lewis, uh, in his reflections on his past life as a pagan and his present life then when he penned these words as a Christian, he said, you know, so many people are satisfied with making mud pies. So many people are happy with a little bread, a little circus, a little sex, a little money. And a little satisfaction in this life when God has offered us so much more. And I think very sadly, uh, the American church has wed itself with the American dream. If you listen to a lot of preaching in America over the last 150 years, it's come to Jesus and all your problems will go away. More on that in a minute. But it's also come to Jesus and you'll be healthy and wealthy. And that's often not the case for God's people. Read church history. Read Hebrews chapter 11, the people of faith. We are strangers. We are exiles. We are sojourners. And, and we shouldn't drive our tent pegs too deep into the earth because God very often says, up, oh, move, go here, go there. And then he takes us away to heaven forever. If you pursue the joy of man, you will have a lot of sorrow in this life. And so that's the joy of man. Let's think next about the joy of God. If man's chief end and highest end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. If that's God, why God made us in the beginning, he made the world and everything in it, took what was formless and void and he formed it and he fashioned it and he filled it. He made man and he made him, uh, put him in a garden where he could worship him and work for him. And spread the glory of God across the face of the earth. Just because Satan came in and sold a bill of lies to Adam and Eve and they took the bait and they ate. And instead of being happy and holy, they became sinful and miserable. Just because that took place doesn't mean God says, well, I gave it a try. No, remember God and his eternal decrees. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, what will bring us the most glory? Let's make a world and everything in it. Let's make it beautiful and wonderful and let's put man in the midst of it to work it, make it fruitful, to keep it, to protect it. And let's let the generations come after and spread the glory of God across the face of the earth. Just because Satan came in and tempted and they fell doesn't mean God's plan was over. What will bring us the most glory? We'll permit evil. We'll permit this sin and Jesus, you'll go at the right time. And you'll live the life Adam should have lived. You'll obey the uh, way Adam should have obeyed. And you'll die the death it will take to atone for the sins of God's people. And so in Jesus, we have down payments on this new creation. The same God who spoke and created at the beginning now speaks and recreates and makes all things new. And we see little bitty down payments on that. The big things are to come in the last day. But we see the end of God's work of redemption. That's to gather all his children in the heavens. 
That's to gather all his children in the new Jerusalem, the city of heaven, the city that is above, where there is no need for sun, for God is its light. And where in that city there is no more pain, no more sorrow, no more hardship, no more thorns and thistles and all the rest. And it's in that city at the end where the joy of God will be complete as if it was missing anything. It couldn't. But his joy and redemption will be made complete as we read from Zephaniah. There's no more war. He's gathered all his people into his city and he sings over them. When I was a kid, we used to sing, I think, I don't know for sure, but I think we used to sing a lot of the Calvary Chapel movement songs from out of California. And we would sing very often on Wednesday nights, Zephaniah 317, the Lord your God is in your midst. He is a mighty one to save. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. Etch that into your head, brothers and sisters. This world is full of sorrows. But heaven is full of godly joy where God rejoices over the blood of the lamb of his son who sought and saved the lost and brought them home. Heaven is going to be the fulfillment of God's covenant promise. I will be your God and you will be my people. We, we sing of this perhaps around Christmas time, Advent time, when we think of Jesus, of the father's love begotten before our worlds were made. We think of the joy and the love in the Trinity and how there was joy in the father as he sent the son to accomplish the mission of redemption. We think of Jesus who says for the joy set before him. That's you. He went to the cross when he was praying in agony in the garden, when he was sweating drops of blood because he didn't fear the nails and the crown and the beatings and the, the, the cries of uh, indignity from the people. He feared the wrath of God. He feared the cup he was to drink down to the dregs the next day at the cross. But it was for the joy set before him. It was for that great day when lost lambs are found and brought into the fold. It was for that day when the lost coin was found after the house was swept clean. It was for that day when the prodigal sons all came home because they came to their senses and realized in the father's house there was love. And that's the joy of God. That's the Trinitarian joy that can be produced in you by the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is joy and it is Holy Spirit wrought. It is not something you go out and drum up and you don't buy it by the gallon or at the, the big discount warehouse store. It's something you get by abiding in Jesus. It comes by faith. It comes by being united to Jesus Christ. It comes by, by living a God-centered, God-oriented life. It comes by seeking first the kingdom and the values of God. So we've thought about the joy of the world. That's actually sorrow. We think about the joy of God. What a standard that is. Let's think about the joy of the Christian. If you're a Christian who has a firm grip on reality, you understand this world. You understand it's sin-filled and it's cursed and it's broken and it's full of darkness and all kinds of wicked things. But you also have a firm grasp of what the scripture tells us. That there is a greater reality. There is a next life, a next world that means more glories are to come. And this world is passing We sing, 
from time to time about the solid joys and the lasting treasures that none but Zion's children know. Glorious things of thee are spoken, Zion, city of our God. When we get to heaven, we are going to behold God's face forever. What a, what a great picture of happiness and gladness and rejoicing. God will be rejoicing over us. God will be rejoicing in the work of his son. And we will be rejoicing in our God and our Savior. And that's what we will do for eternity. In the new heavens and the new earth, paradise lost has now been regained. But we live life still on this earth. We live a Romans 8 life where there's all kinds of aches and pains. There's all kinds of thorns and thistles. There's all kinds of heartaches and losses and crosses. And we get to Romans chapter 8 and it tells us that there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus. Sins are forgiven. It tells us what we have in the spirit that we're adopted into God's family. It tells us that nothing in this life, life, death, people, places, things, ideas, persecution, famine, they can't get a hold of us because we're safe in God. And we we long for redemption just as creation longs for redemption. But we're able to live life and live in color. We're able to see beyond the pains and the hardships and the losses and the crosses because in our minds we have it firm and fixed God is on his throne in our minds we have it firm and fixed by faith that Jesus has bought us with his precious blood and he has paid for all our sins and that not a hair can fall from our head without it being his will and that Everything in this life is for our good and for his glory. We realize that we're adopted in his family and have all the rights and privileges as sons. We realize that he is sanctifying us. He's making us more like Jesus, making us holy. There's a wonderful question in the shorter catechism. What are the blessings? What are the benefits of knowing that you're justified, adopted, and sanctified? And there's five things that come up. Assurance of God's love. Peace of conscience. The third one speaks to us today. Joy in the Holy Ghost. And then there's increase of grace and perseverance to the end. But a blessing of your justification, sins forgiven, obedience of Jesus credited to your account. No condemnation. A benefit of your adoption, being brought into God's family, all the rights and privileges, the robe, the ring, the shoes, the fattened calf. This my son was lost and now is found. And the benefits of sanctification, growing in holiness. One of the benefits or the offshoots of that is joy in the Holy Spirit. That's why we like to say saved people sing. Saved people sing amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Because we understand the fall. We understand the ravaging effects of sin and and all that it has done for us. And so we, we sing of amazing grace because we were down here and have been brought up here. And there is more yet to come. I love the pattern of the Heidelberg Catechism we read from on Sunday nights on occasion. And we, we speak from question one and two on Sunday mornings on occasion from questions one and two about our only hope in life and in death. But that catechism follows 3G pattern, guilt grace and gratitude and our gratitude wells up in us when we realize all that we are 
in Jesus Christ. When Jesus sent his disciples out in the Gospels, he sent them out with power to heal. He sent them out with power to do all kinds of mighty deeds in his name. And and they go and they come back and they're fired up. And they say to Jesus, you wouldn't believe it. Well, I think he would. You won't believe this, Jesus. Even the demons listen to our voices. And that's what they were rejoicing in. And of course, Jesus, the party pooper, you know, Mr. Doctrine and Mr. Mr. Bible, he says, I got a better reason for you to rejoice. It's that your name is written in heaven. And brothers and sisters, the joy of the Christian is knowing for sure by faith and because of the ongoing assurance we receive as we abide in the vine and we are the branches, the, 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 the assurance we get that we belong to Jesus, that our name is indeed written in heaven is a wonderful thing. And, and that is a, a, a good lead in to this final, well, next to final point. And that's joy in darkness. We, we, we've talked about the world's joy, man's joy. We've talked about God's joy. We've talked about the joy of the Christian. But we need to say something about joy and darkness because they go together. Uh, life is not rosy. Uh, life has not come to Jesus and all your problems go away. No, in fact, it's come to Jesus and the problems begin. It's because you're, you're against the world who hates you because you're Jesus' child, his brother. The world hates you because you love God. The world hates you because you're a kingdom of God person now and not a kingdom of this earth persons or, or person. And, and you get to that wonderful place in Romans chapter 8 where Paul says, I consider the present sufferings of this life as nothing for there's great things to come. Things I can't imagine, things I haven't seen, things I don't even begin to be able to speak about. There's far more for us than our sicknesses and our setbacks. Jesus seems to teach his disciples and us, you'll be persecuted for my name, but blessed are you, happy are you. You may be martyred by your captors. You know, it's very interesting to read the stories of martyrs. Many of them went to the stake or to the gallows or to the chopping block or to, or to wherever singing songs and being filled full of joy. In fact, I read this week of one martyr. I forgot who he is and what his name was, but he gets up uh, in the, to the gallows and they're putting the rope around his neck and they want to cut off his beard uh, for practical reasons. He says, no, leave that. My beard has committed no treason. Uh, and and he, went, he went to his death for Christ with joy and even a little levity because he knew to be absent from this world was to be present with the Father. We think of Stephen when he was stoned as he was being brutally stoned by the, by the persecutors, including Paul. He was gazing up into heaven where he saw what was to come. And he even said, Father, forgive them for they don't understand the thing they are doing. And so we can have joy and darkness when we're slighted because we hold conservative Christian views. We can have joy when we're bearing our crosses and God is bringing us to a place of humility. We can have joy when we're being rebuked by God when we're being chastised by the Father, when He is purifying us in a hard and difficult way. Worldly joy says no to these things. These are joy stealers. Worldly joy says this isn't part of the plan. You're doing it wrong. Uh, But God says, 
Sometimes I sanctify your hardships. I sanctify them to bless you and to to shape you. You know, we live in America where I want to say for the last hundred years, we've been hearing the power of positive thinking from the pulpit. And you can't say anything about blood and death and pain and sorrow and hardship. But I love what C.S. Lewis says. These are God's megaphones. And if you take away the hard and only do the positive, you strip away from God his greatest tool in his sanctifying you toolbox. And so we will have crosses to bear. We will have hardships to endure. But like Stephen, we have a glimpse of heaven. Like Paul and Silas who cast out the demons from that young slave girl in Philippi. And they basically ruined the trade of the men who were using these possessed people to make money. They were beaten and put in jail. And in that Philippian jail, they were singing and they were praying and the people wondered. And the Philippian jailer says, what, what, what's going on with you two? And as he washed their wounds, they told him of Jesus and the joy that living for Jesus brings. And we know the rest of the story. The Philippian jailer came to Jesus and he and his whole household were brought into the covenant community of the church. Job saw beyond the sores. He saw beyond the losses and the crosses and he saw his God in great wonder. I want to mention one last thing to you and that's the idea of cultivating joy. I know we're too... Two months into the new year. Some of you have given up on your diet plans. Uh, some of you have given up on your going to the YMCA. Uh, but, but we know we eat, we overeat, and we gain weight, and that's not good. And, you know, I have a friend who talked about the Slim Slow diet. Slim Fast is the drink. Slim Slow is a Snickers bar. That was always his joke. Or, or we say, I'm watching what I eat. You know, we watch it as it goes in. And we know that if we overeat, Or if we eat the wrong things, we get overweight. But I want to tell you this, not so with Scripture. You can eat all you want. It is the true all-you-can-eat buffet where you come to the Word. You come to the sacraments. You come to worship. You come to fellowship. You come to prayer. You come to the things that God has given us. And you can even bring Ziplocs and take-home containers. Try that at a buffet. They'll kick you out. But, but in God's house, there is no need for temperance. There is no need for self-control. The more you eat, the healthier and the more joyful you get. So perhaps you want to revise your list. I asked you a few moments ago, what brings you joy? And yes, it may be persons or people and places and things and ideas. That, that's great. God made them. But there should be a higher joy. And that is the joy that we will have forever with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, our Maker and our Redeemer and our friend. Look to that for your joy. Amen. May it be so. Let's pray. Lord, pry our fingers off of the idols of our heart. Uh, Change our allegiances. Change our desires. Lord, we are to enjoy the things of this life. But with thanksgiving to you, they're to be sanctified by prayer and enjoyed, yes, richly. This is your world. But let us look to the greater and higher joy, eternal joy, rooted in you, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, lover and redeemer of our souls, who will one day rejoice. 
uh, at that great family reunion when all your blood-bought children are brought home. Uh, Hear us, help us in this hour to think right and true and good. We pray in Jesus' holy name, amen.